Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, I'm sitting here with my podcast co-host, Bertie the Cat, in the living room on this lovely Saturday morning, the second week of Epiphany, January 17th, 2021. We're already two weeks into uh, the new year. It's uh, kind of crazy. Again, I feel like I'm a broken record. Uh, time goes by so fast and also so slow. Wherever this finds you, I hope you're doing well and staying sane during these uh, crazy, crazy times. Uh, the inauguration is coming up uh, this week. Trump got impeached for a second time this past week. Uh, yeah, I don't know how we keep up with any of this stuff. Oh, yeah, it was just uh, like a couple of weeks ago, a guy suicide bombed Nashville and like nobody even remembers that. So uh, there's a lot going on. And I want to offer some thoughts today on our lectionary text, which is John 1, 43 through 51. And I'll be reading out of the message this morning. Surprise. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. When he got there, he ran across Philip and said, come follow me. Philip's hometown was Bethsaida, the same as Andrew and Peter. Philip went and found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote of in the law, the one you re preached by the prophets. It's Jesus, Joseph's son, the one from Nazareth. Nathanael said, Nazareth? You've got to be kidding. But Philip said, come see for yourself. When Jesus saw him coming, he said, there's a real Israelite, not a false bone in his body. Nathanael said, where did you get that idea? You don't know me. Jesus answered, One day, long before Philip called you here, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. Jesus said, You've become a believer simply because I said I saw you one day sitting under a fig tree? You haven't seen anything yet. Before this is over, you're going to see heaven open up and God's angels descending to the Son of Man and ascending again the word of the Lord. Okay, welcome to the second week after Epiphany, which is uh, a season that we are given this time of year to ask ourselves and of our world questions about revelation uh, and maybe essentially who is Jesus Christ in our world. Last week we talked about uh, what does it mean to experience an epiphany? What does it feel like to awaken to a new life or a different way of seeing our world, our families, our occupations, or ourselves. What does Christ reveal in our time? What awaits to be revealed by God's Spirit moving in our world uh, today, right? Uh, these are just some of the questions of Epiphany, and I hope we will continue to chew on questions this morning as we think about this John passage. The Gospel of John is actually a great gospel to contemplate during the season of Epiphany because uh, it's a gospel primarily of questions. Uh, John's uh, main question is uh, trying to answer throughout the gospel, who is Jesus? We read a couple of weeks ago John's opening text, which identifies Jesus as the Logos, the word at the beginning of creation. You might remember, interesting, interestingly, there are about 170 questions throughout John's gospel, which provides us with I think an opportunity to ask important questions about our lives and our world in relationship with Jesus. So in our text this week, uh, and we'll see in a similar text next week from Mark's gospel, Jesus calling 
some of the disciples. In the Gospel of John, Jesus' first words to calling the disciples are, what are you looking for? Or the message puts it like, uh, what are you after? In Epiphany, uh, I think it's important for us to find new words and ways to articulate what we are after and what maybe we're truly searching for in life. Uh, how can we communicate and live a faith of good questions? Uh, I think Christianity often finds itself trading in cliches and worn metaphors uh, that don't really hold much meaning for us anymore. I used to work at a Christian bookstore in Maui, and we sold a lot of these cliches uh, in t-shirt form or mug form. So uh, I, I, know what it, I know what it's like to, to, uh, to kind of like reduce... Uh, Christianity or faith to really trite things like t-shirts and coffee mugs and, uh, you know, little signs that you can hang in your entryway and that kind of thing. Uh, but perhaps words or phrases, uh, like more seriously that could come to mind are like, do you believe in God or, uh, save for the forgiveness of sins or are you saved or even love your neighbor as yourself or, uh, Jesus's death on the cross, uh, something about a conversion experience or, God has a plan for your life, et cetera. Like these are kinds of things that circulate just in our Christian zeitgeist where we just talk, we just kind of throw around these uh, phrases in, in different kinds of ways. And one of my questions is, are there better ways to ask questions about our life and faith? And I hope so. The theologian uh, John Caputo writes, we live in a world in which traditional religion is making itself unbelievable. And I really agree. I think we see that all uh, for a variety of reasons across our uh, society today. Perhaps some of those terms or ways of thinking are helpful, but I think it's time to ask ourselves some new questions, or at least old questions in new ways. This particular story from John's Gospel is interesting for a few reasons. Uh, one, it's unique to the Gospel of John, and it revolves around this disciple, Nathaniel, who's only mentioned one more time in John's Gospel and is never mentioned uh, in the Synoptic Gospels, Mark, Mac, Marth, Mark, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke. So why does John tell this story? Uh, it's intriguing that we see early in John's Gospel that Jesus's message is spread by word of mouth uh, by friends and followers, right? We see this connection between uh, John the Baptist followers and and people that um, become followers of, of Jesus. So Philip goes out to tell his friend Nathaniel about Jesus, and Nathaniel isn't hearing any of it except that this guy is from Nazareth, right? A rival town to Cana where he's from, and as far as he's concerned, nothing good comes from this place. So and I relate to this because I'm from Waco, and before Magnolia took over our city. People had only had cult associations with the word Waco, even though the event didn't happen in Waco, but I digress. Uh, the, I get the impulse from Nathaniel here to discount something or someone because of our prejudices and preconceived notions, right? We do this all the time. Our prejudices function as a way to blind us from the truth or distort what is actually happening 
in reality. I think we can't see this at all happening in our lives or society. Uh, so one of the questions would be, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever had a uh, prejudice or a preconceived notion about someone or something and then were able to see uh, your prejudice and change? Um, this is certainly an important kind of epiphany, um, one that I've experienced and told the story uh, many times before. I'll tell it on Sunday if, if nobody's heard it. Another interesting aspect about this interaction between Nathaniel and Jesus is uh, Nathaniel's ability to uh, let go of this prejudice once Jesus mentions that he's seen him under the fig tree. It's from this moment that Nathaniel's epiphany changes the way he sees and understands Jesus. Uh, and you could use the the term belief, like how he believes in Jesus. Belief is an important trait for following Jesus in John's gospel. And my question would be then, what constitutes belief? In this text, Philip's words uh, echo Jesus's previous invitation to the disciples and what he will later say to the Samaritan woman, which is, come and see. Uh, I think is similar to John the Baptist's call to look. Epiphany should provoke us to look outwardly and inwardly so that we might see something new and change. In this call text to the disciples, we can ask what does it mean to follow and what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to follow? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Uh, New Testament professor Jackson Painter explains belief in John's gospel this way. Believing is the primary term John uses to express responses to Jesus, but is actually only representative of many terms for responding to Jesus, such as seeing, knowing, following, and remaining. Believing in John utilizes these terms with different levels of meaning from inauthentic believing to authentic believing, or seeing or knowing. Believing is concerned with the true nature of believing, not mere intellectual assent or mere emotional response. I think this note is helpful when we're asking ourselves, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? We will see this year, as we mostly talk through the Gospel of Mark, year B in the lectionary has us, has us primarily in the Gospel of Mark, that the author of Mark doesn't seem to be preoccupied with belief, but following is the term that the author uses over and over and over. In John, though, Jesus performs seven signs or miracles that provide like a compounding case for Jesus's identity. Remember, the primary question John is trying to get at is who is Jesus? So he's identifying Jesus as the Son of God, the Anointed One, uh, or the term you might uh, be familiar with, Messiah, right? So this exchange with Nathaniel is like the very beginning of Jesus fulfilling a, this kind of messianic promise with his life and the way of living that also call he, he calls his disciples into embodying. So a uh, long way to say is I think it's important to clarify that belief isn't a trite way of saying, I think certain things about a certain person, therefore I believe. Okay, it's not... I think this with my mind, and do you agree or disagree with me? So it's not a matter of 
religious affiliation, like I grew up Baptist or Catholic, or I think there's a God, or I don't think there's a God. Uh, belief in this way, I think, functions more as a transformative and growing ability to change um, by the word that John talks about, the beginning of the universe, incarnate in the person of Jesus, in which we, through this process, become more compassionate, hopeful, and courageous people for peace and justice in our world. Uh, so my question here would be, does this change our understanding of calling? Does this change how we understand maybe the word discipleship? That's another word that is thrown around in Christianity oftentimes, and it's kind of like, okay, what does it really mean? Uh, so does this understanding change the way we think about following Jesus? Uh, in our Wednesday night community group, we're reading through uh, Caitlin Curtis's book, Native, and she makes the important point that because of colonialism's takeover of Christianity, what uh, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove will call slaveholder religion, she says, we have to ask ourselves today, when we say we're following Jesus, who are we really following? I think that's a really poignant question. Uh, and I think this hits home, particularly this last week, when we th saw thousands of people attack the Capitol in a violent mob, many of them doing it in the name of their Jesus. Uh, it would take way, way too long to unpack all that here. Maybe we can talk about it on Sunday. But the ways in which white supremacy and Christian not nationalism have co-opted the gospel and radicalized people, oftentimes in churches, is all too common today. And on some level, is the majority report for Christianity in our country now. Uh, there's a professor in, of theological and social ethics at Fordham, a guy named Brian Massingale, and he wrote this last week uh, about the Capitol Hill riot. He said, we cannot feign surprise because for years, the core of Mr. Trump's appeal has been stoking white resentment at the changing, changing face of America. What we saw today is a clear declaration that many white people would rather live in a white dictatorship than in a multiracial democracy. If democracy means sharing power with people of color, especially black people, then they want no part of it. Today is the inevitable consequence of the nation's tolerance of white racism. So if we're asking ourselves questions during the season, maybe some more questions would be, do our lives and our choices look markedly different from the dominant culture? or for mainstream Christianity? Are we participating in a market economy that is responsible for environmental degradation? Is our money invested with companies that proliferate uh, our war economy and resource extraction? If Christianity is silent on issues that are damaging to the planet or people, it's a religion or a way of thinking so distorted that it's beyond recovery. Something new must emerge from the seed of infinite love and truth that has always been present, but is often buried or neglected because of human selfishness and greed that runs so deep in our culture of accomplishment at all costs. As I mentioned on Wednesday, our cultural and Christian lens is usually zero-sum. 
It's a mindset of scarcity, a product of both individualistic imperial Christianity and post-industrial capitalism. We can see it played out in our lives in a variety of different ways. Like, if I don't get into that college, well, somebody else got my spot. Uh, if uh, I deserve that job, not the other person that doesn't have my resume or qualifications. Uh, if someone, we saw this this week with the um, Fight for 15 protests, uh, if someone is getting paid minimum wage, I feel threatened. If someone needs government assistance, it must be because they're lazy. And we don't want to give out free handouts because, hey, we work hard for our money. Okay, capitalist Christian nationalism thrives off this kind of thinking because those who are sinning deserve hell in that worldview. If you're saved, go to church, perform the correct religious rituals prescribed, God blesses you and not your enemy. Okay, Christianity has become incredibly warped and it it functions on a variety of different levels, right? Some are not as extreme as others. But it's, it's incredibly warped by the colonialism and post-industrial capitalism to emphasize individual achievement, financial or otherwise, which is why personal salvation or, or accepting Jesus into one's heart so that you can be saved and go to heaven maps incredibly well on top of uh, an already individualistic, economically focused uh, capitalist culture. In this worldview, you can cognitively believe right? I think something about Jesus, uh, that Jesus is the son of God, right? I cognitively believe that, or I agree to that sort of mental assumption. And, and then I receive the eternal insurance that goes along with that while continuing to live whatever way I want, right? I can continue to live a self-centered existence that never sees the other, whoever that external other is, as essential to my humanity, uh, to our shared common good, with no concern for any kind of 21st century implications of Jesus's call for me to follow him. Again, Caitlin Curtis juxtaposes this kind of thinking with the biblical idea of shalom and the indigenous worldview of harmony. In short, both require the healthy cooperation of all life on earth in peaceful mutuality. I mean, this is something we see over and over again in the Bible. Um, how might it change uh, the frame to think about Jesus's call uh, to the collective rather than to the individual? Like Jesus's call is to us rather than I. How do we follow Christ into this kind of future? Uh, this week, as many of you know, is MLK weekend, and we know that Martin Luther King's view of Christianity was rooted in a deep sense of mutuality. In other words, if you are not healthy, I am not healthy. If you are hungry, I am hungry. If you are homeless, I am homeless. Uh, famously, he wrote in a letter to uh, from a Birmingham jail, he wrote this, in a real sense, all life is interrelated. All men are caught up in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. 
I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. Uh, Martin Luther King's believing in Jesus isn't something he just thought with his mind. It wasn't just an affiliation, a hobby, or a daily journal practice. Uh, It was an embodied, transformative way of being in the world that demanded justice and hoped for peace. Um, Being a Christian means uh, every person deserves a living wage. Being a Christian means no one should be homeless in the wealthiest country on earth. Being a Christian means we stand against the cruelty of the criminal justice system and the death penalty. Being a Christian means no one should die because they cannot access health care because of the greed of the insurance industry. Being a Christian means opposing a war economy that profits off the killing of human life at home and abroad. Being a Christian means that if we do not see our brothers and sisters, plants, animals, ecosystem, universe, as inextricably linked to our common well-being and our hope for the kingdom of God, we cannot see the promise of the future and we cannot call ourselves Christian. This week's Epiphany text challenges us to see ourselves, our world, and Jesus differently, and hopefully to ask some good questions. What does it mean for Jesus to see us like Nathaniel, in our prejudices, in our doubts, and call us not only into a new way of thinking or believing, but living in mutual community? Courteous, gracious, towards all, in all. Now that's maybe a new challenge in our time of cutthroat politics, rampant conspiracy theories. Maybe as we close, we can ask ourselves a couple more questions. How are we to be found by others? And how might we find others? What potential awaits in these discoveries? All right, I think we will leave it there. Uh, I hope there was something there that um, stimulates you for the week and uh, challenges all of us to uh, embody a more gracious, compassionate, uh, courteous, courageous way of being in the world. Uh, As always, we're gathering on Zoom Sundays at 10 a.m., Uh, DM me on Instagram, Mission Hills LA, for the uh, Zoom link. If you haven't joined us, uh, we are doing Native by Caitlin Curtis on Wednesdays. Uh, Reading is not required, uh, so just join us if you can, 7 p.m. Wednesdays. And uh, yeah, that's about all we have going on for now, trying to stay safe. I hope everybody is doing well, and I hope hope we can get vaccinated soon. All right. As we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and live life to the fullest. Be well.